When you drive a vehicle so reliable it's backed by a 10-year, 100,000-mile limited warranty, you stop thinking about what you can't do and start doing what you never thought possible. Visit your local Kia dealer today to see what you're capable of in a vehicle that inspires confidence around every corner. Kia. Movement that inspires. Call 800-333-4KIA for details. Always drive safely. Limited inventory available. Warranties include 10-year, 100,000-mile powertrain and 5-year, 60,000-mile basic. Warranties are limited. See retailer for details. Hello, film fans. Hope this finds you well. Thank you so much for choosing to listen to my little podcast, Soundtracking, that Ben and I make every week where we dive into the beautiful minds of people in the world of film and TV and music to talk about the wonderful relationship between the moving picture and music. Um, I also encourage you guys to get in touch with various things, which is so wonderful. Um, I've had some really nice correspondence over the last couple of weeks from um, from people who want to come on the podcast, which is great, to um, directors, new directors who are inspired by what they hear, which is great. And then I love this one, actually. And this is from Paula. She says, I don't think you have chatted to this particular movie music composer, but I love his soundtrack so much. I was hoping he may feature in a future episode. Fernando Velasquez, my favourite podcast. I look forward each week to each new episode. Paula, I'm definitely going to look into that because... Um, I'm not sure how much he's worked on things recently. The Orphanage being one of my favourite of his scores and films. What a terrifying and brilliant film. It's a perfect time of year to be watching something like that, isn't it? Halloween. So, um, which is when I'm recording this. Uh, happy Halloween, everybody. Um, so I will definitely look into it. And thank you so much for your email. Really, really appreciate it. We have got some amazing guests uh, coming up over the next couple of weeks. I thought I would just sort of throw forward to a few of them. Um, lots of people returning to the podcast, like Luca Guadagnino is coming back to talk about his new film, Bones and All. We spoke to him the last time about Call Me By Your Name, the beautiful Call Me By Your Name. Uh, Bones and All is out in cinemas at the end of November and stars uh, Timothy Chalamet and is uh, Taylor Russell as well. Beautiful pairing. And it's a, it's a pretty extraordinary film. Also going to be talking about After Sun, which is a feature film debut by a very talented uh, Scottish director called Charlotte Wells. It stars Paul Mescal from Normal People. And Charlotte's done a phenomenal job with this film. So we've got her coming up as well. Uh, Alejandro G. The G stands for Gonzalez Iñarito, um, the award-winning director and writer. His new film, Bardo. Um, I haven't had him on the podcast before. I did get the chance to chat to him loads about The Revenant and this film, Bardo, has got such a personal attachment to him and his his family and his story and um, I love to chat to him. It's absolutely brilliant. Tim Burton is going to be on the show talking about his first foray into TV series Wednesday, which I've seen all of and loved it. Uh, we've also got Sebastian Lelio talking about The Wonder and many, many more. Uh, but today we are celebrating some of the most iconic film music of all time as Matt Whitecross and David Arnold join me to discuss Matt's documentary, The Sound of 007. <laughs> Sorry, it does exactly what it says on the tin, featuring contributions from many of the key players from the franchise's 60-year history. David has, of course, scored five Bond films, so we're going to begin with one of his cues from Casino Royale. Nothing sinister. Thank you both for doing this. Oh my God, it's so great. It's, it's um, I'm so glad I get the chance to talk about it. 
I want to say huge congratulations. I had the most wonderful. It felt like I was in some kind of time capsule watching the doc because I felt I was just transported through different eras of my life and moments and memories of growing up, not just watching the Bond films, but I think, you know, the thing that the film celebrates is how important the music and that song was to everyone's experience. So it was amazing to kind of just be reminded of ones that you'd forgotten about as well. It's so true. I mean, that's the... You know, I every time I make a film, you always try and make the next thing as a kind of reaction against it. You want to do something a bit different. And I've done a few music films. But when you get the chance to make a film about the music of James Bond and, and work with people like David, it was kind of too good an offer to turn down. And, and you realise, I mean, I, you know this anyway, obviously, but from my perspective, you, you go into a project like this, knowing that, you know, this, you know, this music is part of your DNA just from growing up in England, I guess, all over the world as well. But then as you start to do the research, you really start to remember how important that music is to you, how it, how integral it is to just the way that you see the world. You grew up with it. Like those, a lot of these tunes were there before I can have any real memories. So mm. I was, uh, we were talking about this the other day that my parents, I've got young kids now. And, and when I read to them and you get to that point of the evening where you've definitely got to call it a day mm. and they start complaining, oh, one more chapter, one more chapter. You go, no, 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 to be continued. I do this, I did this thing, which I suddenly realized my parents did to me, which you just you go at the end, you go, da, 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 da. And I was like, oh my God, they've been singing me the Bond theme. So I must've heard the Bond theme since before my first memory. <laughs> yeah, it's just awesome. part, part of everything that, yeah, it's part of your identity, I think. Was it a case of Barbara and David just kind of getting in touch then, Matt, and going, how did this project kind of come about really? Well, I was, had been working with John Batsik, our producer, and um, he was, we talked about lots of different projects, none of which had come together. And we were working a long term on this Paralympics project. And then he rang one day out of the blue, this is all pre-COVID, saying, listen, would you fancy going in to meet Barbara and Michael uh, Eon at the, at the Bond's uh, offices? Uh, they've got an idea, but they don't quite know what it is. And they want to have a brainstorm. Do you want to go and meet them? Mm. To which the answer, of course, is yes. Mm. Of course, I would love to go in and meet Barbara and Michael. And just to kind of just to, if nothing else, just to be nosy and kind of can see what that world is, because <laughs> I think we've all got an idea in our minds what that might be like. And they've, they've got, you know, the best reputation in showbiz for a reason, I think. So you go in there, they're incredibly charming, despite the fact that they were in between directors, I think, at that point on No Time to Die. Mm. So they had bigger fish to pry, but they were obviously thinking ahead and they knew that the 60th anniversary was approaching and they wanted to commemorate it in some way, but they weren't quite sure how they were going to do that. And and they thought probably they wanted to do a documentary, but at that point they didn't know what it was. So we just had a brainstorm and, um, and you know, threw out a bunch of ideas and then we didn't hear back. And so I assumed that someone bigger and better had got the gig and I kind of tuned out of it and we went off and made another film. And then about a year later, John got a call from Barbara saying, listen, where is this film that you promised us? <laughs> at which point it was like, all right, all hands on deck. And of all the different ideas that were mooted, I think Barbara had the thought about doing something about the music because, you know, uniquely, I think, amongst films, you know, music is always important in film, but I think uniquely with Bond, it's it's kind of integral. It's been there from day one. You know, if we talk mm -hmm. about that Bond theme, Bond doesn't really exist without that theme, without the music of, of John Barry and Monty Norman. And and as it in, increasingly that template is something that distinguishes itself from everything else. You know, if you look at other big films, if you think of Raiders of Lost Ark, or you think of E.T., you think, well, I'm just naming those of John Williams films here, and Star Wars <laughs> and so on. But, but they, as important as the music is, it doesn't really evolve. You know, I think that, that what, what I love about Bond, this is something that Phineas said to us when we met him and Billie Eilish, was that he loves the fact that it's each of these stories is set in the present day. And so the music has to reflect that. And it has mm. to reflect Bond and it has to reflect the artist as well. And that makes it unique, I think, in music history. David, whenever I think of Bond, I do, you, you, for me, you're almost kind of like the gatekeeper in a way of it, because I feel like you've, you've had such an important role in terms of keeping it alive, really, to be honest. You know, when, when John kind of decided that he, that was kind of, you know, and he talks about that in the film sort of thing, kind of that's, I'm kind of done. I've done what I can do. And he saw you and he felt like you were the person to hand that baton to, which we've talked about on this podcast in the past mm. when we did the lovely episode with yeah. you and Don Black. But it was so important because there was a danger that Bond could have stayed quite kind of um, period almost in a way. 
and he needed an update and he needed that and that needed to be musically as well as with a a new bond actor you know playing the character and that was down to you that was kind of you know you came in and really sort of shook it up a bit and and brought different genres into while still being so respectful you know and and of that kind of original sort of sound and stuff as well were you was that anything that was was that ever sort of talked about in terms of the music feeling like it needed to be updated in a way when you came in it wasn't and i think well, one of the things that makes uh, barbara and michael really great producers is that they they kind of cast their crew uh, as they would their characters i think mm. i think they cast the people that they think are best for the job at that particular moment and they let them do what they want in many ways, they're a bit like the uh, safety bumpers when you go ten pin bowling with little kids. You know, it's like they make they make sure that it doesn't go, you know, into the next lane. <laughs> yeah. uh, it's still heading in the right direction, but the route, you know, <laughs> to the strike is uh, is yeah. it's, you know you still got that's where you got to head, uh, uh, and you know, and they know these things inside out. You know, they know what 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 mm. is and isn't right. But the fact that it's kind of supported so many approaches over the years would 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 tell you that the actual character and the the world of the cinematic James Bond can support quite a few different approaches mm-hmm. you know if you think before I even got involved and you lay these songs side by side if you laid a Goldfinger next to You Only Live Twice next to Nobody Does It Better next to Live and Let Die you know they all sound completely different yeah uh, and they're all you know but they're all Bond songs and I'm undeniably Bond songs and yet they sound completely different and I think it's continued in that in that vein you know since uh, since the since the mid 90s really since Eric Serra kind of properly took it to a place that I don't think anyone was really expecting in terms mm. of uh, you know the kind of electronic approach uh, with, with orchestras so um, you know and it's you know it, it's survived all of those things yeah I think that's why I love that's why I love you know my favorite parts of the Bond movie at the beginning and right at the end you know, at the beginning, at the beginning, you've got the gun barrel with the promise of the greatest Bond film that's ever been made about mm. to happen. Uh, and at the end of it, if maybe it wasn't your favourite, mm-hmm. it's got those immaculate words, James Bond will return. So you go like, well, maybe the next one will be my favourite one ever. <laughs> yeah. And for some people, you know, certainly I've got my favourite and, uh, uh, you know, and I'm happy with that. And I don't think anything will ever beat it. But there's something really exciting about the fact that it might do, you know, yeah. there's another one coming and it might be your favourite one. So uh, that's what's exciting about it. I mean, in terms of the film, it'd be great to kind of talk about, you know, you you, you kind of feature in the film, but it must have been a, a lovely journey for you watching the film as well, kind of thing, and sort of, because there's some amazing stories come out of this, the, the doc. We've lost Matt for a second. I'm hoping he's going to find another hilltop yeah. to rejoin us. But, yeah. Um, yeah. but I, um, but I, I, I mean, I didn't recognise Sheena Easton for a start. I was like, that's who it is. I was like, yeah, because oh the, the accent's totally gone. It's like, but I was like, that was yeah. amazing. And that whole um, Tina Turner song, you know, that was written by Bono and the Edge, which yeah. I yeah. think I think I knew about. But there's all this lovely footage of him singing it, and and it's and that whole story and kind of just that's the great thing about the doc is like almost there's a little kind of almost short film around the making of every not every song but quite a lot of the the theme tunes, which is so nice, kind of gives context and the journey of them the decisions being made and that brilliant bit where yeah. George Martin kind of goes no 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 if you want live and let die it's Paul kind of thing it's like well of course yeah, it is yeah. it's some yeah, great of stories I mean, why, why would you why would you want Thelma Houston when you've got Paul McCartney you know I mean not, <laughs> not nothing wrong with Thelma Houston but you've got Paul McCartney that was I know that was always George's story when you were young You know, but there is a there's a story attached to pretty much every one of those songs, uh, and 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 the, the thing about watching that 
the documentary was i mean i knew a lot of it but but you're kind of struck by how much wasn't there you know it's like yeah. you think we've had six, 60 years of this thing yeah and uh you know it's an awful lot of stuff and an awful lot of ground to try and cover and i'm sure matt was equally as frustrated with you know a 90 minute cut because you know seriously you're four to six hours to properly <laughs> have a look at it i mean i did that i did that radio shoot show looking at the looking at the scores and that was that was six hours of audio wow. and that wasn't enough you know you kind of scratch the surface of it um but there was there are there are so many stories and and what's extraordinary is that you know again 60 years later we're still talking about it do you know what one i've been singing non-stop since i watched the um watched the doc can you have a guess Go on. which one do you think i've been well, singing non-stop well i think what is really, all the really time in the world been... no but that made been, me cry i've been singing i've been singing license to kill Nice. Weirdly, because we did we did it we, we did it with Ella Eyre at the Albert Hall, and and for some reason that whole song properly took off in a way that I never expected it to, and so ever since then I've just been going like got a license to kill to kill. So, you Gladys know, walking Knight. around singing that all the time. Yeah, Gladys Knight. I am. I've been singing Shirley's version. The world is not enough. Like literally oh. walking around all day, being sure, like for days now, being Shirley Manson. Like in that kind Shirley of Shirley was so so excited. I love that story to, to, that you told to, to be doing it. But what was really fantastic was that when we did the Albert Hall and she came. Luckily, the whole band came over to do the show at the Albert Hall. She seemed as excited to be doing that as she was when we did the original <laughs> recording. I mean, it's like I I, I, oh. I love it a bit. Uh, yeah, it was a, a lovely night, and I was saying, uh, just saying, Matt, that, that you know that you, you feel the restrictions of ninety minutes when you're looking at sixty years worth of material to try and to plough through, and that really it's a you know it's a six to an eight hour, you know, like the Beatles movie in a way. You know, <laughs> uh, it, it, it needs that. It needs that amount of, of exploration because the stories are all unbelievably entertaining and enlightening, and, and of course everyone. Everyone, everyone knows these songs. You know they've been around in our lives since, since we were obviously born. And you know mm. there's, there's, there can't be that many people left in the world uh, who haven't been around when Bond's been around. You know, a bit like a bit like the Queen. 
the the geek in me as well with all that sort of that lovely sort of pull through from we have all the time in the world right through to kind of Billy's song in, in the last film sort of thing. I mean, that's an amazing insight with like Hans's kind of craft of of kind of taking all that kind of it. And, and seeing Billy do that kind of bit of performance at, at air was just kind of jaw dropping mm. when she was like, mm. can I just do it? Can I just freestyle? Can I just acapella it? Yes. It's like, wow. Yeah, <laughs> well, I mean, you must have just had so much footage of stuff, Matt, to kind of, like David was saying, to kind of know what to, to kind of navigate your way through it, really. That was the the challenge for me, was that there was, so the joy of it was that there was, there was so much, we knew that going into this, there were so many great stories, the music was, was so easy to talk about, because sometimes music is hard to talk about, but I think with Bond, it's, it's easy because we know it and mm. there's you know there's so much history there's so many personalities involved there's a lot of great anecdotes and also you can kind of dig into it because you know we, we wanted to show for example how a genius like John Barry could take the Bond theme but then adapt it so that it would play at the same time as Diamonds are Forever and, and do all these things and you can just show it there because we know both those songs like the back of our hands so yeah there was but the problem was we, only, we knew we only had 90 minutes and mm. We kind of, I think I just, I just decided early on, okay, fine. Well, it's really just going to be a taster. You know, people can come to this and it will draw them hopefully back to the music and back to the films, but we can't do every single song justice. In the early cuts, we tried to. So everything was in there from Madonna to, you know, to um, uh, Aha, to mm-hmm. all, the, all the tracks that I'm sure people are angry that we didn't include were in there originally. But it just got to a point where you just had to go, okay, look, we're going to have to try and give a taste of all the different things that Bond music can do. And sometimes if two tracks, for example, you know, we had a certain point, there's the anecdote, uh, which was hilarious to me, of how uh, Duran Duran and, and John Barry fell out. And on the one <laughs> hand, you have someone who's like the consummate professional who turns up every morning. And then you've got the new it band at that time who want to do things their own way, which is fair enough. And initially they clash and there's a friction and then gradually there was a kind of mutual respect and they came up with this great tune together. Meeting you with a view to waking Face to face in secret places Feel the chill Then all more or less the same thing happened with Aha on the next film. And it was another notch. I don't think they ever really, the grudging respect bit never really came around. So they just hated <laughs> yeah. each other by the, by the end of the process. When we had that. Like the band. In and it, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and then, uh, but there was like another 10, 15 minutes of Aha. And even though that was the, you know, one of my favorite songs growing up, because it was the first Bond film I saw in the cinema. And I remember rushing out of the cinema and going to HMV and buying that single and so on. So, you know, some that film, that song has its its lovers and its detractors, but it was yeah. huge for me.
So I, when coming on board, I was like, of course that song's got to be in the film. And then when we cut it, the idea was, well, look, we, haven't we just said that with Duran Duran that mm. John Barry was getting to a certain point in his career where he didn't really feel like he needed to put up with this. And, and he also wanted to go off and stretch himself in a different way, which I think inevitably after you've done 11 films, you start treading some of the same boards and you feel like maybe he could go and do something else. And in the original cut, we then went off into this whole thing on the rest of his career. But I think, you know, uh, understandably, people came back and were like, well, you're, you're starting to make a John Barry documentary here rather than a Bond documentary. Maybe you need to kind of put it back and concentrate on the on, on Bond. And so, um, yeah, there was a lot of stuff that we wanted to include. And there's a lot of lovely footage and a lot of lovely anecdotes. It just wasn't time to do. Mm. That's a bit I... I hadn't really seen him talk much, really, in terms of... I've, I've heard him speak about it, but I hadn't really seen much footage of him. Um, and it was so interesting. He's so kind of... I mean, David, you you got to know him really well, didn't you? You kind of... He's, yeah. He, he was like... I mean, he didn't suffer fools. I love his kind of... just. He's so just kind of dead. Like, this is kind of, you know... This is oh, how it is. It was, like, yeah. It was it was cutting. Uh, <laughs> I mean, he was he was always uh, the kind of belligerent Yorkshireman, you know. No matter where he was in the world, his opinions would always be really, you know, quite brutally honest. Uh, and he had a very high standard, you know, mm. and uh, which is why I never spoke to him about anything that I'd done. I thought that the last thing I would want in the world for is to is to have John Barry's axe fall on me, you know? <laughs> uh, so I never, I mean, we used to talk about a lot, but, but and I saw him a lot, but I would never talk to him about about music, especially about bomb music, I think. Mm. Um, you know, I, otherwise I would be that guy. Mm. I would be that annoying person saying, yeah, Thunderball, blah, 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 when you did that with the flutes, and then why did, it? you know, the whole thing, I'd be like, you know, ripping it apart, like, uh, try, trying to find out, where this comes from you know the, the the genius of creation how you know why that set of sounds you know why that approach mm. because you always think like well there must be some something that he knows that i don't which makes him amazing so you're always trying to find out how other people do this job as well you know i'm sure i know it's the same with filmmakers but you think like, well maybe they know something that i don't some sort of magic trick or a or a hack, which which makes you know, which makes the ordinary turn ex- extraordinary. But you know, there never is. It's just innately within you, or or it isn't. So I never used to talk to John about anything like that, and 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 I wouldn't, you know, because he would have told me, and I don't think I was ever ready to to hear it because I doubt <laughs> I doubt if it would have been, you know, I don't know. He was nice enough to Barbara and Michael when talking about Tomorrow Never Dies, whether I should be doing it or not. He was very very kind, uh, and, and and so, but you know, I figured like well don't ask don't tell so I didn't I I, I didn't ask I, we just used to we just used to go out to dinner and everything and and he would drink and I would eat uh, and and he said David uh, you're a he goes I'm a drinker you're an eater <laughs> like, well that, that is that is absolutely right Don's fantastic story about you know it's like we'd have the you know the Pontrachet a champagne cocktail, a brandy, and then we'd have lunch. You know, that was that was always his story about John. You know, it's like Don, uh, you know, Don went out for dinner with John, and it was uh, yeah. it was always about like the, the cocktails and the amazing drinks and everything. And you know, maybe there'd be some food, or maybe there wouldn't. But uh, that, you know, and that was, lovely story, company. that lovely story from Michael Caine as well, of just like being kept up by the piano playing. That was just that was yeah. so great. Yeah. I mean, you must have unearthed some amazing footage as well, Matt, in terms of there's some fantastic archive in there as well. There was a, there was a lot of stuff. I mean, I was I was very I was very relieved and happy that you know we started doing these interviews. And I'm trying to remember the order we did it in, but I think very early on we spoke to Barbara and Michael before doing the proper interviews. We kind of sat down with them and just asked them a bunch of questions. Then sitting down with David and Don pretty quickly um, in their studios, and then as far as the new film went, I think. I've been reading some of the stuff that came out when the film came out and I heard about Billy, you know, contributing to the soundtrack. And I think I kind of subliminally, I was hearing it when I, when I was, when I watched it for the first time, but then I went back and saw it the next day again, just to listen to it this time because I closed my eyes at points and I could hear her coming in, but it's almost, it's done very, very subtly. I should have known. Just goes to show that the blood you bleed is just the blood you own. 
then uh, talking to someone like Hans and Hans talking about the process I was like was anyone there filming because I come on board after they'd already finished that part mm. of the process and uh, he was like oh I don't think so no, I don't think anyone was, was seen to, like I was thinking even just on, on their phone but actually it turns out Barbara and Michael have been very diligent about doing everything kind of behind the scenes not only for the shoots but actually for the all the post stuff and so yeah someone was in there for any of the, the key bits with Johnny Marr and the bits with Billy yeah. and Hans and that which which was amazing I mean like you say the idea of just being a fly on the wall at these iconic moments was, was great. And then similarly, when, we, when it came to David, not even David remembered that the, you know, the, the classic now completely iconic moment where him and his team performed the Bond theme for the end of Casino Royale, which is up there in one of my favourite movie moments yeah, ever. Totally. And someone was there was filming it. Obviously, they were so in the moment, they didn't realise there were any cameras there. Was that amazing to see, David? Uh, yeah, I, I mean, the thing is, I, I, I never filmed anything that I've ever done. So all the things I've ever done, I've, I've got no record of it. I haven't even got photographs. So it was like on Casino Royale, I asked Michael Wilson, I said, look, Michael, I said, like, we've done, this is like my fourth film now. I said, like, could you take some photographs? Because Michael's, a, you know, very keen on photography. Uh, I've said, done it. You, yeah, could you just take a few photographs? Uh, so he, he came along and was recording stuff. And I think he got that on his uh, on his stills camera. I think I think it was Michael who filmed that. Uh, I don't. I'm not sure that we had a camera crew, uh, but it felt very intimate at the time. And of course, I you know I mean I, I I got sent a couple of shots that Michael had taken of me with you know trying to get the sound right on the guitar amp uh, when I had long hair and everything. And um, uh, but the actual moment of doing it, I didn't know had been recorded. So. I was watching the documentary for the first time and I thought like, oh my God, that, that's the moment. And it's like, you can see it on my face. And, and weirdly, and I don't, this is probably on purpose because you know, Matt's a brilliant filmmaker, but, uh, but that clip was sort of followed a, a, a clip uh, from John, where John said when he was recording his Bond theme, you know when something magic happened and something magic happened at that time when he was doing his. And when I did mine, it felt exactly the same. It was one of those things that, completely had a life of its own and no one knows why you know mm. it's one of those things where all of a sudden everyone's slightly sitting slightly higher up in their chair a little bit forward uh and and giving it absolutely everything and all of a sudden this thing just comes to life and everyone knows it everyone who's playing in the orchestra is looking at each other in their eyes and knowing that this is the this is mm. the one that's happening and then you're in it and it's like it continues to be brilliant and and then it's just like riding a wave it's, it's like surfing uh, and at the end, you think like, oh, my God, that was amazing. We did another two or three takes for safety and they were all flat in comparison. You know, it just didn't wow. have the same thing. And it was that one. It's it's one of those odd things, isn't it? It's like when you go and see a play sometimes, you know, you can see it on a night where it's absolutely astonishing and electrifying. You can see it on another night where it will feel, yeah. you know, a little bit flat and, and, and low energy. And I don't know if that's a, something to do with the, the audience and the performers or a mixture of both, but. You know, I think part of it, what for, for me was when we did it, is I saved it to the last thing we played. Yeah. So you know, the band had been, you know, we'd been doing this Bond movie for about six or seven days, and we hadn't played the Bond thing, and everyone knew it was coming. Hmm. Uh, and I put it right at the back of the pad, so it was like the last thing we do. So, and because it was an end title, it's like you can kind of throw the book away because you don't have to, yeah. you know, you don't have to be in sync with anything. Uh, and so we just, in, you know, just sort of like everyone was just going to enjoy it. And, and I think I'd got the guitar sound sorted out for the first time properly. Everyone was ready to play it. And, and, and when they when we did play it, it's, you know, it, it, when you listen to it now, you can still feel the, the, the energy. And I was 
you know, immensely pleased that it sort of became Daniel's version of the Bond thing. Mm. You know, that that version yeah. of it became his. Uh, and I think it was in all of his movies, I think. I think as well, like that choice of Chris Cornell for that that tune as well for that was such a great kind of extension almost of the character of Daniel as Bond. I think as well that felt like such a yeah. a lead through on that. When you were so so say for example with that one when you were in the studio recording that that amazing moment and we see the footage, was the theme already done? Had Chris already done it or what? Because it's that's the thing that I find interesting. Yeah. It's kind of like it. Sometimes there. are it's it's different for every film, really. I, I think it's what I kind of get. I'm yeah, the all. yeah the the songs always sort of have to come first in a way because poor old uh, you know Daniel has yeah. to uh, a- animate the title. Yeah, you know, so he need he needs everything uh, as, as 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 soon as he can. And uh, Danny Kleinman, that is, who makes the title sequences yeah. for the Bond films, and is an extraordinary talent. So he's always badgering me when I was doing them to, can you get me something? Can you get me something? Because he needs to know what's going on. So we found that I usually, the the songs kind of happened kind of like November, December, January-ish time uh, to be finished by kind of like early Feb. And then mm. you would start writing the score February through the summer. To sometimes weave it. those in, wouldn't it? That's the thing is like those kind of themes yeah. are, are weaved. Yeah. You know, yeah, you have to have it elements. first, really. Yeah. Yeah, you have to have it first, really. So, so I worked on that with Chris uh, uh, separately until we had a version of it, mm-hmm. uh, and we had the finished version of it at the rap party for Casino Royale. So, Casino Royale uh, had wrapped the film had wrapped, uh, and there was a party for the crew and the cast, uh, and everyone wanted to hear the song. So, I got in this. I think it was a Mercedes with Barbara Broccoli and Daniel Craig and a cassette in those days. Uh, and the first time we uh, he'd heard it was we were we were we were in the car park uh, at the back of this of this rap party and uh, we we played we played you know my name and that's when he heard it first. Uh, wow. And Barbara had hadn't heard the mix with Chris's uh, vocal on it. Only my sort of demo. Uh, and uh, yeah, he was. He seemed. He seemed very happy. Right. And from that point on, you know, Barbara then gives a speech uh, because at this point the crew are wrapped, right? So everyone's going home. They've shot this thing. It's taken months. Everyone's relieved. Everyone's going home. And I'm walking up there, going like, "Well, now I'm. I'm really just starting." You know, it's a very weird yeah, alienating yeah, 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 thing yeah. To, to 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 be at. Yeah. Uh, and uh, she said, anyway. So, so so we're all done. You know, Barbara was being like lovely and charming as ever. Uh, she, and then she looked at me. She goes, "Now, David." Uh, she goes, "Now it's over to you. It's all down to you now." Jesus. <laughs> and 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 I literally, I literally got in a cab and went home. I thought I can't stay here anymore. I've got, I've got to get going. I start, I started writing that night. Um, oh wow! Yeah. If you take life, do you know what you give? I'll tell you all I.
I was, I was just going to say, what well, one of the, well, the highlight for me of, of David's concert the other day was was him singing the theme that you did with Chris. I think it was very, it was very moving. I mean, you performed it beautifully, but it was, you know, having grown up with Chris in the Soundgarden, mm. that was one of the key songs for me. And then to hear you perform it, because obviously he's no long, longer around to do it, it was, was very moving. Yeah. Well, you're, you're very kind. And obviously yeah. I couldn't, you know, I couldn't go anywhere near the sort of thing that Chris can do. So all I had was I, I, I excused myself and asked for his blessing uh in his absence uh but i didn't want to not do that song yeah totally. and the other weird thing was i was i was halfway through i was halfway through that when all of a sudden i realized uh, i saw paul hollywood in the audience uh, and that kind of slightly <laughs> pulled me out of it for a second oh my god that's genius <laughs> um, i should have asked him for a handshake so yeah, great. I what i was you thinking absolutely of. should have and <laughs> yeah. um, a couple of quick things before i let you guys go i, I love as well how there's you're not uh, within the doc, you know, it's, it's not just all kind of um, light. There's there's a there's a bit of shade in there as well in terms of when things either haven't worked or you know, like the radio, the, the kind of being upfront about the Radiohead thing as well. And I think that was mm. that's really great as well. Of kind of and Sam Sam Mendes is brilliant about it. Just kind of going, oh, it's broke my heart, kind of thing. That and then also when the odd Bond song hasn't really kind of worked, really. You know, it's like. Over like six years, you're never going to nail it every time as much as they try, sort of thing. And I think it's great no. that it kind of goes there. Well, it's it's, it's funny though because um, yeah, I think we they they didn't want to make a, a puff piece. It wasn't supposed yeah. to be some kind of EPK. But what was what's interesting though is as soon as you start to criticise any Bond song, there's a, a whole army of fans who are like that's the best one. Yeah, you know. So when so all time high for example, I was having an argument the other day. Well, not even an argument because I do love that song. But they were and a friend of mine was saying, I can't believe you cussed it in your film, even though it wasn't me doing it. Saying, oh, it's, yeah. it's the best Bond song of all time, and the Jarvis. Oh come on, no, it's not. <laughs> so you know it's good and the same thing for Living Daylights when I was talking about how much I love that song yeah. someone else was telling me That's I had no it. taste in music so you know it's good there's something in there for everyone yeah it's conversation isn't it as well and it's it's kind of yeah it's it's uh it's experience people's experience and moments and stuff as well it was very very emotional as well because I remember watching the you know the little doc that they made with Daniel kind of of you know being Bond sort of thing to then follow up with this and and you kind of he was such a great Bond you know he was so he was so brilliant as Bond he really really was and and but what's great about the doc has been reminded about all those other you know actors that have played it over the years personally I think it's time for another Scottish Bond um I think <laughs> Jack um, Jack Loudon should be for me the next Bond but that's just personal personal taste it's funny how I mean you know going back to the music I think it'd be so interesting to see whether it's David or whoever ends up doing it next, you know, how do you then evolve the character? Because I think something well, David's going to be I, the next Bond. That's amazing. <laughs> you heard it here first. But the um, in terms of who does the music, you know, I'm not saying I'm not. <laughs> you've got to keep these options open. They're exploring all possibilities. I just think that um, you know, whatever it, whatever happens next, it's got to kind of speak to the times. It's got to speak to who the new Bond is and what the new story is. Yeah. But I found that fascinating. The time of you know, again, in the longer cut of the film, we had a whole. There was a real you know David Arnold love fest all the way through, and we had a lot on Casino Royale because I suppose well to put words in your mouth, uh, David, you had a kind of challenge of like how do you distinguish this new Bond who's already controversial? People saying, oh, we don't want Daniel yeah. Craig. He's not right for it for whatever reason. And how do you make him emotive when he's not an emotive character? Well, you kind of you have to do it through the music, and that's where you get that emotion. And and I think particularly with the with the Vesper theme, which is a kind of back and forth between these two things, it has to come through the you know through his his the this kind of uh, the you know the doomed love affair because mm-hmm. it's not never going to come from Bond because Bond's someone who conceals for a living. So I did that. I found that fascinating, but. David to take that all apart I was I was in geek heaven unfortunately we didn't have enough time to but you know maybe in some longer cut in the future
before I let you go, what your favourite Bond song? You only live twice. My first. Yeah, movie. we have all the time in the world. Be... Yeah, that. Little... I think that's the best song, but it's not my favourite. Yeah, that's the thing. There, there's a distinction there. You're right. I didn't realise it was one of the last things that he'd done as well, or the last thing that he'd done. That was kind of like just broke me when I was watching the film. Mm. I just thought it was really. really yeah. I think that's and the power of music, watched... isn't it? Mm. Sorry, go. On. But what's what's interesting is about when you have a definitive reading of it like that, it's almost impossible to get close to the weight that he brought to that lyric. Yeah. And it's interesting because when I when I did it with Iggy, it was like, well, he's the only person I kind of know who has lived a life that is so rich and so full that when he sits down and, and starts reflecting on it, it's a similar amount of weight. You know, it's a very different tone i think you know yeah. but but what i think what i what i, what I liked about the, the, his reading of it when i did it with him was that it felt like it was coming from a similar place you know a kind of like not exactly the autumn of our years but you know but but kind of like a reflective looking mm. back kind of thing while still kind of pulling forward as much as you can and um you know there's very few people who you know it's interesting there's very few people who can sing these songs well you know they're very very difficult to sing you know, John's melodies, especially, I think, are incredibly challenging to 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 pitch right. You know, and uh, they they kind of play incredibly easily. You know, when you have them in your head, they're incredibly easy, but they're really technically very difficult to sing. So anyone who takes one on and and makes it work, you know, I tip my forever worn hat at them. <laughs> Well, listen, thank you so much. I mean, thanks for, for this. So it was just such a beautiful experience watching it. It really, really was. It was lovely to watch. It thank really you, was. Either. Yeah, I just, I, I, I wanted more. But I, I look forward to, Matt, I look forward to what's next and, and from you too, David, as well. It's lovely to have you both oh, together think, to talk about this. Thank you so, kind. so much. Thanks. I'm sure Matt's got like a six-hour cut somewhere for us. I mean, I, I'd, <laughs> I'd, watch, I'd, I'd watch all of it. Yeah. I, I have. Well, it's, 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 I mean, I probably should say that Edith was a very big part of the longer cut where we went I'm into a bitter. lot of detail about John Barry and Aha, <laughs> which you were both, no. you were excellent on both, in both cases and they all hit the cutting room floor last minute. So I apologise for that. Hey, but yeah, my, the longer cut will be there. out there. It won't be the last time. It's not the first and it won't be the last, my friend. So don't you worry. Oh, well, listen, nothing, nothing <laughs> can't so be improved much. without having Edith in it. Oh. Take and care, guys. You. Thank, Thank you, you so much. Thanks, Bye, guys. Lots of love. <laughs> Bye-bye. We have all the time in the world Time enough for life To unfold All the precious things Love has in store We have all The love In the world If that's all we have we need nothing more From Her Majesty's Secret Service That's We Have All the Time in the World Composed by John Barry And performed by Louis Armstrong Rounding off this latest episode of Soundtracking With Matt Whitecross and David Arnold Now before I let you know what's coming up next time A word from our friends at Vintage Cash Cow Now if you've heard me say on this podcast before I do love a cosy, clean home Which normally requires a little bit of decluttering. That's usually a pretty stressful task, even with the most wonderful music blaring. Given that most of my drawers and cupboards are full of things I haven't seen the light of day in years, well, Vintage Cash Cow makes selling your old valuables easy because you don't have to deal with selling items individually. All you need to do is fill a box with jewellery, cameras, coins, vintage toys or whatever you fancy and post for free or arrange a collection. Within a week, you'll get a cash offer. If you accept, you'll feel better. Knowing your unused things have become part of the circular economy, which of course is good for reducing waste and tackling climate change. You'll have a more relaxing, spacious home and a clear head. Vintage Cash Cow has great reviews on Trustpilot and right now are offering listeners a £20 bonus with the code SOUNDS. Another reason to put some music on, have a good old rummage and a clear out and fill a box for Vintage Cash Cow today. 
So if you feel inspired, head to vintagecashcow.co.uk now, enter the code SOUNDS on the sign-up page and get £20 extra when you sell. That's vintagecashcow.co.uk with the code SOUNDS. My huge thanks once again to Matt and David for taking the time to talk to us. You can watch The Sound of 007 on Amazon now. Here's hoping Matt gets to release the director's cut one day. I'm not bitter in the slightest. Head to edithbowman.com to hear every single episode of the podcast, including my previous chats with Matt and David. And don't forget to subscribe while you're there so as not to miss my conversations about film and music the moment they land in the future. You can follow us on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter. We are at Soundtracking UK. And please, I love getting emails from you. And you can do that by sending one to info at edithbowman.com. Next up, very excited to welcome back the phenomenally talented Ryan Coogler, who is taking us back to Wakanda uh, with the new Black Panther film, of which I haven't seen yet. But as of recording this, I'm going to see it tomorrow and chatting to Ryan on Thursday ahead of you hearing him next week. I very much look forward to the pleasure of your company then. <laughs>